Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Word about Jesus spread. Word about his teaching. Word about his miracles. And people flocked to him. People came to him from near and far to hear, to see. Some even made the 90-mile journey from Jerusalem. Among those were scribes and Pharisees. Scribes were experts in the law the Torah, the law of God. Scribes could issue binding decisions regarding the interpretation of the law and the application of the law. Scribes were called by the title rabbi, which means my teacher or my master. A Pharisee, on the other hand, was neither an office nor an occupation. A Pharisee was part of a movement, a movement that stood on the law. A Pharisee desired, above all, to live life according to God's law, to live every aspect of their life according to God's law, to live righteously, to live holy. Since it was a movement, a scribe could be a Pharisee. But not all Pharisees were scribes. At the time of Jesus, about 1% of the population belonged to this group, about 6,000 people, but their influence far outweighed their numbers. Well, some scribes and Pharisees gathered to Jesus to see, to hear, and what they saw disturbed them. What they saw offended them, so much so that they confronted Jesus. Listen to their question of him again in verse five. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? They were alarmed that the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, ate with unclean hands and that Jesus allowed them. But this was not about hygiene. They weren't worried about disease and infection. What they were concerned about was purity, ritual purity, cleanliness in the sight of God. In the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Leviticus, there are laws concerning purity. For example, contact with a dead body would cause you to be ceremonially unclean. Contact with certain bodily discharges would cause you to be ceremonially impure, which means if you were, it means you couldn't enter the temple. You couldn't enter God's presence. You could not worship until you washed, were ritually cleansed made clean according to the law. Now this ritual uncleanness, this impurity in the sight of God was passed through touch. The washing of hands that the scribes and Pharisees questioned Jesus about was a symbolic washing. I mean, a minimal amount of water was used. It was just splashed in the hands. The idea was that if you had touched something considered unclean by God's law and didn't know it, You were cleansing yourself. 
And you didn't have to worry about passing that uncleanness, that impurity by touch to your food and ingesting it, which would then cause you to be unclean within and without. Now, there was only one problem with this. God's law did not require it. There were no commandments, there were no statutes, there were no rules concerning the washing of your hands prior to a meal. None. Zero. In fact, there were only two laws about washing hands. The law required you to wash your hands if you touched any sort of bodily discharge. The law required you to wash your hands if you were a priest entering the tabernacle. And that's it. Those are the only two laws concerning washing hands. So why were the scribes and the Pharisees so upset about, at Jesus about hand washing? Where did this law come from? Well, the answer is found in their question to Jesus. Listen again to verse five. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? It came from the tradition of the elders. And it was this tradition that marked the Pharisees. It was this tradition that they adhered to so closely that set apart the Pharisees. The tradition of the elders was an oral tradition. It was also known as the oral law. This unwritten tradition developed over time. It developed through the centuries as scribes interpreted God's law, as scribes applied God's law. These interpretations and these applications became accepted as the way to follow God's law, as the way to live out God's law. So in in general, God's law, his written law, was seen as policy. When you read God's commandments, you, you, you know what he desires. However, you didn't always know exactly how you were to live it out. So the oral law, the oral tradition, attempted to show God's people how to keep God's law in actual circumstances and in actual situations in life. Now, the image often used of the oral law was a a fence. The tradition of the elders was like a fence around God's commands. It served to protect the intent of the law and the integrity of the law by offering every possible way you could keep it, live it. God's law commanded that priests should wash their hands before entering the tabernacle in order to be clean, in order to be pure when entering God's presence. Well, the oral law applied this washing to everyone to maintain purity, to keep from defilement at all times. Now, Jesus's response to their question, the question of the scribes and the Pharisees is a stinging rebuke. It's a strong condemnation. It's a rejection of the oral law. Listen again to Jesus's words from verse six. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What Jesus calls the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites. Now, the origin of the word hypocrite lies in the theater. It means to play a part on the stage. In Greek theater, the actors wore masks for their roles, made it a lot easier to play different roles during a play. 
Well, the hypocrite is one who acts a role. A hypocrite is one who wears a mask. What you see on the surface is not what's underneath. What is portrayed is not reality. A hypocrite is a pretender. Now, our Old Testament reading was from Isaiah, the same passage that Jesus quotes. In this Isaiah passage, God condemns his people as hypocrites. He doesn't call them hypocrites, but this is what he says, that they honor him with their lips. They speak his praise through their words. They glorify his name with their voices. They pray, but it's a mask. It's an act. It's pretend. The reality is that their heart is far from him. He is not first in their heart. He's not glorified in their heart. He's not loved in their heart. The inside does not match the outside. The heart does not match the lips. And God knows. God sees the heart. And his people are hypocrites. Well, Jesus tells the scribes and the Pharisees that Isaiah was talking about them that Isaiah prophesied about them. They offer God lip service. They speak that they're focused on God. They speak that they follow the law of God, desire to be righteous before God, but their heart's really focused not on God, but on tradition, on the oral law, what Jesus calls the commandments of men. And, and this focus, this focus that they have in their hearts, rather than leading their hearts to God, actually serves to lead them away. And Jesus gives an example. <clears throat> Corban. Corban is from the Hebrew word for offering. Corban was a custom where Jews could formally dedicate particular goods or property to the Lord. And upon the giver's death, the one who dedicated these goods or services, goods or property, upon their death, it would then be given to the temple. However, during their life, the giver could maintain control over those goods and property. In a sense, it was a type of deferred giving, like, like leaving some of your estate to the church in your will. Now, if you, if, you, if you do that, you can change your will at any point. But once something was declared Corban, it could never be changed. The tradition of the elders would not allow it. Well, Jesus points out the problem in our passage. If a man declared part of his wealth, Corban, and then his parents were in need, according to the scribes and the Pharisees, according to the oral law, he could not use it to help his parents. Corban prevented him from honoring his mother and father, which means oral law overrides written law. Tradition overrides revelation. A clear commandment of God, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother, is set aside. It's voided by a commandment of men. Jesus says, you're making void the word of God by tradition. And this is only one example. One. 
Well, after answering the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus calls the people to him. He gathers a crowd around him, including his disciples, who, who don't get what he says here. And Jesus teaches. Listen again to what he says in verse 15. Jesus says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Well, how do you become unclean? How do you become impure? How are you defiled in the eyes of God? Well, Jesus says, it's not what you touch. It's not something outside of you. It's not what you eat. That goes to your stomach, not your heart, and then it's expelled. But rather, Jesus says, it's what's inside you. It's what comes from within. It's what's in your heart that makes you unclean, impure, defiled in the eyes of God, because it's from within. It's from the heart that you have evil thoughts, lust, pride, envy, wickedness, a desire for what others have that you don't. Now, these, these thoughts and, and these attitudes from your heart can birth spoken words, can birth words that tear down, words that demean, words that objectify, words that slander, words that hurt. These, these thoughts and attitudes from your heart can also birth acts, deeds, sexual immorality, adultery, murder, theft, deceit, and all come from within, all come from the heart. All are sin. It's sin that makes you unclean. It's sin that makes you impure. It's sin that, that makes you unable to enter God's presence. And it's not outside you. It's not on your hands. It's not in your food. It's within. It's in your heart. And that's what God's law shows. That's what God's law reveals because the law of God cuts to the heart. You shall not murder. Did you commit the act of murder? No. Did you scream at someone in anger? Wish that they were dead? Well, if so, you broke the law. You sinned. You shall not commit adultery. Did you commit the act of adultery? No. Did you look at someone lustfully? Did you undress them with your eyes? If so, you broke the law. You sinned. And it came from within. God's law works like a mirror. It works like a mirror revealing your heart, showing you your sin, showing you your uncleanness, showing you your impurity, showing you your need of cleansing, your need of forgiveness. By, by setting aside God's written law and focusing on the oral law, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were missing this. They were blind to this. They thought that by keeping the tradition, they were clean. They were pure in the sight of God. And Jesus says, no, you're hypocrites. You're only focused on the outside. You're only cleaning the outside. God is concerned about what's within. 
God sees within. He sees your heart. He knows your heart. That it is unclean, that it's impure, that it's defiled, that it's full of sin. You need cleansed within. And when you, when you wash dishes, you don't simply clean the outside of the bowl. When you wash dishes, you don't simply clean the outside of the cup. You clean the inside too. That's the part that's dirty. Likewise, you need cleansed inside. You need cleansed within your heart. And you can't do it. You can't, you're, you're, you can't do it. There is no device, there is no technique, there is no detergent that you can apply to your heart. The only cleansing agent for an impure heart is Jesus Christ. God sent his son out of love for you. The eternal son entered creation, becoming man. He lived for you. He suffered for you. He was crucified for you. He died for you. And he rose again for you. Through him, through his death, through his shed blood, your heart is washed. Your heart is cleansed. It's made pure, righteous in the eyes of the Father. And it is the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that applies it to your heart. And that's exactly what baptism points to. Baptism is a water washing. Baptism is an outer washing that points to an inner washing, the heart washing given by Jesus. Christianity is a heart religion. It's not a religion of rules and regulations and tradition. It's first and foremost, a heart religion. Following Jesus means you have a heart cleansed by him. Following Jesus means that you have a heart that desires to please him. And how do you please him? You please him by following God's commands, not tradition, not the commandments of men, but God's word, his written word. Do you follow the Savior? Is your heart cleansed by his blood? Or are you just cleaning the outside? If you do follow him, does your life reflect your heart? Do your words reflect your heart? Do your actions reflect your heart? Or are you just wearing a mask? Now, will you always get it right? No. Will you sin? Yes. There is still a battle within. There is still a battle in your heart. Sin is beaten by Jesus, yes, but it's not vanquished. Sin is cleansed in your heart, yes, but it's not eradicated. That's why we repent. That's why we confess. That's why we claim the cleansing of Jesus over and over and over again. That's why we remember our baptism over and over again. Or if you were baptized as an infant, remember that you were baptized over and over again, all the while praising the crucified and resurrected Son 
for our salvation and asking his spirit to help us live our lives reflecting a cleansed heart. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 